Welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast, where we discuss all things real estate, personal finance, investing, entrepreneurship, and the many ways to achieve financial independence. We interview accomplished investors and entrepreneurs with the goal that their stories inspire you to take control of your financial future. Here to get your creative juices flowing while also documenting their own personal investing journeys are your hosts, Corey Jacobson and Ryan Bevilacqua. Welcome back to the Weekly Juice. As always, it's your boys, Ryan and Corey here with another episode. Today, we had one of our best episodes to date, in my opinion, at least one of my favorite. We had a, it was almost like a master class on business and business development and scaling a business. And there were a lot of selfish questions Corey and I had throughout the episode just to kind of help us elevate our game a little bit. But um, we interviewed uh, Jake Harris, and he is a real estate investor, business coach, um, a podcast host and also an author of a book called Catching Knives. And yep. he founder of a, a real estate development company too. Like, I mean, among so many other things. private equity, he, yep. he's involved in a plethora of things uh, from commercial real estate to residential real estate. So he just had a wealth of knowledge. He has thousands of units and it's incredible. It's actually funny. We started talking about the first half of the episode was like talking business. And then we got kind of towards the end, got into his portfolio a little bit. And then it was really just philosophical and talking about like how to elevate your game and you have a finite amount of time on this earth and just overall an all encompassing great conversation. And he had us ready to run through a brick wall. Like, so he has a bunch of energy and you could feel it throughout the episode. Yeah. I mean, you, when you listen to this episode, you're going to be sweating because he's, he's, essentially giving people the blueprint on how to build a business in today's day and age and like what you need to do to take your game to the next level. He told a story about a, a person who had been in the United States for a couple years and they wanted to get into real estate investing. He met, he met them in, at, I believe at um, grad school. And this person bought a sky rise apartment complex with their first deal and made $30 million. And that story resonated with Jake where he's like, limiting belief is the only thing that's stopping me. Like that's, that's it. That's the only thing that's stopping me. Cause you're talking about a guy who became a millionaire and then, you know, right before 2008 lost it all, then got to negative network and then net worth, then build it all the way back up a hundred times that. Right. So I, we were just so excited to talk to somebody like this because he's truly a coach. Like the way that he articulates what he's saying it kind of it really it can really change your life. It can change your entire world because he's done things that he never thought possible just simply by then putting his mind, shifting his mind into, into a different gear. And talking about that person from the person that moved from Venezuela to the United States, it was like the the land of opportunity. Right? Land of opportunity. There you go. Yep. And for him to to hear the story and then share it with us, he's like, this person had zero dollars of their own. They just put the pieces together and came out with a thirty million dollar profit on skyscraper. He's like, if they can do it. I can absolutely do it. I have a little bit more tools in my toolbox and I don't want to take things for granted. So it was an incredible story for him to share with us, but then it also pivoted and highlighted his story. And he talked, as Corey mentioned, going from zero to negative net worth and earning it all back and then living to tell the tale and sharing with others. And that's what he does now. He just likes to uplift other people, right? He says it's God's work or he's doing doing the Lord's work. I think he said but, uh, somebody that you're going to want to follow. You're going to want to latch on to learn from. I'm, 100% sure you'll get value out of today's episode. And I could talk about the intro for hours, but I think better yet, we should just bring him in. Let's bring in Jake. For real estate investors, going mobile is the next big thing for managing our properties. We like to have the power and resources in the palm of our hand. 
When we're hunting for deals, we're consistently go, go, go. Having RentReady's property management app is great for checking in on all our properties, especially when it's time to collect rent. With RentReady, we get the benefit of both mobile and web apps that allow us to collect rent from anywhere. We not only get instant notifications when rent is paid, but we also have the ability to send automatic reminders to tenants when rent is due or late. From finding the perfect tenant to collecting rent, everything an investor needs to build wealth and manage their investing portfolio can now be found under one roof with RentReady. The most exciting news is that RentReady gave us an exclusive 50% off promo code that can now be used by all of our Weekly Juice listeners. You just need to visit RentReady.com and enter the code JUICEBOT to get 50% off any RentReady plan. That is R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com and enter the code JUICEBOT, J-U-I-C-E-P-O-D, to receive 50% off any RentReady plan. As you know, we talk a lot about financial independence, building revenue streams, and buying yourself more income. Wanted to give our listeners a special opportunity to potentially add a different revenue stream for themselves and into their portfolio. Tune into episode 110 to hear Corey and I peel back a couple layers on something that we're investing in currently at the moment. Just gives you a snapshot of where we are in our journey and gives you the opportunity to invest as well. This specific opportunity is to invest in a YouTube content monetization channel. And we go through every single step of the way, how we got involved and all the ins and outs of it. If you're interested, after listening to the episode, feel free to drop us a DM. We're happy to answer any questions that you have and we'll point you in the right direction. Jake, officially welcome to the Weekly Juice Podcast. Corey and I are so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us today. We're excited to share your story with our listeners. Awesome. Uh, thanks guys for having me on. Uh, I always like talking to people from Philly. I feel like they're, they're my kind of people. They're just down to earth. They just like grind and they've been kicked in the teeth so many times as sports fans that they just realize what it's like to be like a, a real real estate investor. So uh, that's why thanks for having me on to the show today. Jake, I don't know if I'm going to stand. I'm not standing for that on this show. First of all, Rise from the Massachusetts area. So he's a New oh, England fan, oh, which has had all the success, yeah. you know, all this. But I, look, our Eagles are pretty good. So, you know, don't hate on us. But uh, I appreciate you coming on and uh, we're excited to get into your story. So if you could maybe give us a little just background on who you are, where you're from, and then how real estate investing, how you've grown to such great heights in, in the industry. I don't know that it's great heights. Uh, you know, as far as, uh, I just been doing it for a while. Uh, I actually, I was looking at, I was like, I think it's almost been 20 years that I have been a professional investor. Like that's mostly been my primary thing that I've been doing. And so that's the one thing that I'm like, my superpower is I am very persistent. Um, you know, if, if you ask my wife, that's probably the reason we're married is I'm persistent. Uh, but so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad 20 years ago when I was in the army and it was like the light bulb moment that it was like, yes, this is what I want to do. I was trying to decide, was it marketing or maybe some sales or something? I was like, no, real estate, this is the game that I'm going to play for the rest of my life. And I started investing um, down in Phoenix. And actually I was working construction in the Bay Area and I bought a house down in Phoenix and the market took off like a rocket ship. And I just kept was buying houses in the early 2000s. And it was like, man, this is amazing. Like I'm making so much money. And, uh, and uh, you know, part of it was I actually got let go of my construction company. I got laid off because we were waiting on permits because California sucks, you know, for getting, you know, approvals in place. And so we're like twiddling our thumbs waiting for a project. And the, co the company is like, we're not going to 
keep paying you. Um, you're like the low man on the totem pole. You kind of suck at what we're doing. We're keeping the good guys. We're letting you go. And so I was like, I just bought this house in Phoenix, like literally. And I was going to fly down on the weekends and fix it up myself. And then I got let go. I got fired. I bought my first property. I spent all the money I had, every last nickel and dollar to get the closing cost and get to the things. And, and every week as I was going to get money, I was going to do a little bit of work on the side and, you know, in a short time period and pay the mortgage payment. Well, now all of a sudden I have no job and no money coming so, in. And I'm like, oh, oh, we're moving to Phoenix. So that's what you said early 2000s at that time when that when that was yeah uh, 2002 okay. i think yeah okay so this is great because you have a unique situation we don't get to, we talk to every now and then we talk to an investor who's been investing or a real estate professional who's been doing it for 20 years not often though because there's a lot of people who have gotten started in the last 10 which is great that's the, a great time to be in but you went through multiple market cycles already so what was it like getting started in 2002 and 3 i guess what happened next prior to you know when everyone knows about 2008. So like, what was the journey like from 2002 to, to the time of the market crash? It's really easy to do real estate because you could go get 105% financing loans. Like this was like, wait, you're going to give me what? Like, okay. Like hey, it was, so when that rising tide is happening and there's this, you know, just like momentum of, you know, and really like the last few years of people just like running in, it was easy to do a deal. And it was kind of easy to raise money. It was kind of easy. It was just like, or you didn't really have to raise money because there was debt. Like you can finance a hundred percent, 105% of a deal. Like, so why did you need to bring in investors? So that allowed me, and I had a goal to be a millionaire before 30. I was like, that's my goal. I'm going to be a millionaire before 30. And at like 28, I was going through some, I was getting ready to buy another piece of property and you have to you know, do a, a PFS, a personal financial statement. And so we were sending it out and I was reviewing it and going through and I was worth more than a million dollars. And I was just like, Hey, I did this it. Is it. <laughs> I did it. Like, Hey, and it was like late at night and I was sitting kind of in my office in my house and there was like nothing crickets, like Literally nothing happened. There wasn't a ticker tape parade. Uh, it wasn't, you know, you know, angels blowing horns. You did it. Uh, I thought that was going to happen for us. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I was waiting on the horns. Now get back to work. Uh, and so, but it was like, to me, it was easy to kind of get that ball rolling because of the debt environment and the capital markets environment. And then really to my demise is I got lazy. I kept doing some of these other things and I, I did a few deals and I was kind of flipping out of, of, of some properties, but I kind of just was like, I took my foot off the gas. I was just like, meh, I did it. And so to me, that was like one of my big, like foundational failures that I realized that becoming a millionaire was really like a blessing and a curse. And so the curse was, I didn't extend my goal. I didn't go like, let's go become worth 5 million or 10 million or whatever and evolve. And so I, I realized that I figured out and I believe that most people can white knuckle their way to a individual goal. And you see this happen time and time again, like I want to lose 20 pounds and they lose 20 pounds. And then what happens? 
as soon as they lose it, they get off and then they put back on 25 because they didn't change the foundation of the framework that got them to that success. And so same thing, I was a, for me, it just happened to be make a million dollars. I white knuckled a goal and got there to become a millionaire, but I didn't develop the systems that allowed it to be predictable and reoccurring and grow upon itself. And so that's where I say like, that was a big mistake that I had to go learn is I was going up and up and up and up and the values of the real estate were going up and up and up and then it all deflated and the, it crashed. And so it was because I was buying properties and they had negative cash flow because it was like the values were popping up so much. It was like, man, I should just do that. And I remember I, I was at a meeting with Robert Kiyosaki at Rich Dad Radios in, in Scottsdale. And he was saying, be cautious, young man. You know, what goes up must come down. You know, there is a, a, a bubble of brewing. And I was like, I old man, you don't know what I'm, you know, I'm super smart. Like I'm buying these at a discount. The market's never gone down more than 20%, but I'm buying them at 70%. So I'm buying 30% under market. Like there's no way like, ah, yeah. He was wrong or he was right. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I was like, and it went down like 80% in value. <laughs> the, the 08 was bad. And so I'm sitting on a street corner sobbing in Tucson because I watched eviscerated this portfolio and you had hundreds of thousands of dollars liquid and cash and these other things. But I was coming to closing table and buying down these properties. And ultimately I had more portfolio than I had cash to service it. And so I had debt that overwhelmed me and ate away. And even though I had become a millionaire, I actually now had a negative net worth. Wow. And not only that, a negative bank account. And so like, because things were on auto pay, auto withdrawal, auto stuff like that. And I had good credit and I had good programs before that with the banks. So they like honored it. Like they were like, oh, you're five grand over. No big deal. Oh, 10 grand over to you. And they process this, but on multiple properties. And so now I have not money, negative money. So like I'd even go do a job of doing construction. And it was like, I couldn't even go like cash the check at the bank because they take sweep all the money. So then I was like, so I have negative net worth, negative bank account balance. And I remember saying that prayer, dear Lord, can I be worth no money? Zero dollars. Cause I was like, having no money would be better than where I am right now. And so and that's what it was is so to give you that kind of illustration, it was like putting something together. I was able to white knuckle and start doing stuff. I wasn't developing systems. I wasn't developing something that created predictable and repeatable success. And then I didn't expend my goals to continue that growth. And I got lazy. And then when it, it deflated and crashed or the bubble burst, I was then left servicing and I didn't have anything. But at the end of the day, I got back up and I said, I'm doing real estate. I just well, been kicked in the teeth. I'd been like, let's go. Let's go do it again. That's my question here, Jake, is uh, it's almost crazy. Like, why? Why Why did you stay with real estate after it it burned you so bad? And maybe you realized it was your own fault. That's that's one thing. But like, how did you decide to say, okay, this thing that had just brought me to this height and then ruined my you know personal net worth. And you're like, no, nah, I'm going to keep going. What was the decision like for you to, to stick it out? Well, why'd you stay with the Eagles, dude? Uh, that's my team, bro. Yeah. So I don't know. Is that the answer? 
a little bit. So I was like, it was an introspective kind of thing. It was, it, it, it was not instantaneous. It, it took a little while. And part of it is, uh, I, I, I have faith. I believe there's a higher power. I believe there's a God. I, I sat down and said a prayer, not only to be worth no money, but just clarity. I then went and read books. And it was one of the first times that I really started spending more time looking and reading books. And I read the four hour work week. It did come out at that time, Tim Ferriss's kind of book. And it was on this bestseller list. And I read it. And for those that haven't read it, you should, I don't know how you've gone around life and not reading that book. And it's not about working a four hour work week. It's about how do you 10 X, how do you start developing systems? And when it was, it was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And so I plan on doing this for the next hundred years with an option to renew. And so if I do that, you don't just quit at the first, you know, uh, you know, tripping and falling. And, you know, it's like, okay, so now I'm looking at and thinking about things in long-term ways. And so there was a lot of things in my life that was not, you know, going according to plan. You know, I had become very myopically focused, meaning solely laser focused on becoming a millionaire before 30. So my health struggled, my relationships with other people struggled, you know, my faith struggled, like all of these other things. And so I was probably bankrupt in all these other areas of my life before it translated into the money. And so what happens was I took and flipped on living my entire life. How do I get better and more healthy? Because you know what? I'm now married. I have three kids. Like as I'm a, I'm a terrible husband and father if I'm dead. So like health becomes very, very important to me. And so then also that gives me certain levels of energy. And so it was like, how do I start systematically thinking about success in my life? And guess what? It's not about how much money I have. And so then I started creating the frameworks of I really, really light up. I love doing real estate and it's creative kind of problem solving and thinking and finance and, and numbers. And it's like kind of my thing. And so when I ask people, a lot, a lot of times people come in and be like, why, why this or why that? And I go, well, I believe that everyone has a unique special talent that God put them on this earth for. They have it, whether they or maybe they believe it's the universe or like, and how you can measure this is think about like things that you do that give you energy that you get lost track of time of it. And there's times when I was a kid or other things where you're like in flow state and where you're just like, you lose track of time. It's been three days. You're like, what, what's going on? I don't know. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten. I still got to take a piss. Like what's going on. There's things like that in your life that are not, you know, necessarily playing video games. There's things that fire you up, that excite you and bring you up on energy and there's also things that suck energy away from you that you're just like you dread doing, reading legal documents, lease extracts, doing the accounting. Some of those, some people love those. Some people hate those. So again, like that'll help give you start understanding like you probably have some special talents that's under the thing that gives you energy. And that's why I was like, real estate does that for me. And I was like, I get fired up when I get start talking about it. People hear me on, have me on podcast. And then only that is like, when I get in person, people are like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's go do real estate. Let's invest <laughs> into it. And so for me, it's also like, I get a chance to now share this energy and guide other people to figuring out their path. So then I get to add my experience and I can quickly kind of determine like, 
if something's risky for them, and obviously I need more contacts for that is like, what is their portfolio look like? What is their investment strategy? What are those? And so I can now start guiding people that have been doing it for 20 years because I was like, I made a ton of mistakes. And I was like, I made a lot of mistakes in that process. And so I can also tell you and be like, hey, I've already done this. You should maybe not do that. It, do it yourself if you want. Experience is a great lesson uh, teacher or a, a great teacher to teach you those lessons, but I'd rather just read about it in a book. So was there something that was fundamental about the way that you were purchasing real estate or looking at like transactions or numbers from the time that you became a millionaire to lose it all to the change? Or was it more so the strictly the mindset and getting balance in your life that you attribute? I know it sounds like a lot of the balance and 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 fixing your relationships and all that really helped you. But was it uh, was it a shift also in the way that you were looking at real estate specifically, or more so the 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 other side of it? So I think that was you know in a journey. I'm still on that. Like sure. I was like I, I've not you know I tell my wife all this all the time. Like I know it's shock. I'm not perfect. I'm still a work in progress. Um, so is a combination of that. And then really what it was is I dove into like, what did I do well? And so part of that was creating exactly what you said, a systematic way of approaching a deal, a systematic way of formulaic approach to buying real estate. I was like, that's what I did really well. And so like, that's what I doubled and tripled down on was like, how do I do more of what I'm good at? And so then how can I double, you know, again, put all the chips onto that. So it was like, there's lots of areas that I suck at, not try to do that. And I'm not trying to be the most average-ish, you know, person. I want to be super powered in one areas. And so exactly that, the formulaic way of approaching real estate investing was what I did really, really well. That's what layered me into now. I went and took a job working for a family office, a high net worth individual, maybe a billionaire, you know, but we created a systematic way of buying at scale. And it started like, let's do 10. Let's do 20 of these a year. And then it turned into let's do 100. Let's do 200. How do we do 20 a month? How do we do 30 a month? And then creating a systematic way of moving forward. And part of it was learning from that, like, I didn't put in some of those systems before. This is how I can create scale. And one of the questions I ask my team many, many times over is, what if we had to do 10x what we're currently doing? What would need to change about our systems? And then one of the other things is, but what if we only got paid one-tenth of what we get paid on right now? And so what it's doing is it's helping to change out the framework in which you're thinking about stuff. There's some things that you would not do right now if you only got one-tenth of the fees out of it. And there's some things that you would need to put in place or do if you're going to do 10 times the amount of capacity for that. And then it allows us just to kind of start thinking about that framework of how do we systematically approach investing? And I'm happy to get into the details of how we would maybe approach like single family houses if there is nuanced technical kind of details. Yeah, <clears throat> I'd love you to to do that. It's almost like more like the how to on the systems, right? We always hear it's more like a generalized idea of like build the systems. I love the four hour work week, by the way, and it's very tangible advice. But I'm thinking about our audience here listening. There's some people that have a couple single families, maybe they have a duplex, but they want to scale up to potentially larger multifamily or just build out their portfolio even further. But some people still have W two jobs. 
including us, right? We're managing a portfolio of eight. It's small, but we also are getting into the larger syndication fields. And we're like, whoa, there's a lot of money in this. And there's a lot of wealth to be built in the, in, in real estate. And it's trying to fit, navigate the systems and put them into place now. So that way we can pull ourselves out of the business and work on it versus like, I, I you know, we're a little bit too much in the weeds, if you will, while still managing everything else in our lives. And I think every single person listening could use a little bit of advice on how to like sharpen their axe and make the system a little bit smoother. So if you could dive in, that'd be amazing. So I'm going to give you first, I'm going to give you a story on that about self-limiting beliefs. And then I'm going to give you how I did some of these things from a system. Maybe it was hindsight I would have done differently. So. Um, before I actually give you the story, I'm going to start with a systematic approach, and I'm going to give you a few minutes of that. So I, the best deals I bought were in 09. The market was crashing, collapsing. And so if you look at it, where the, the home prices were going down 09, 2010, 2011, 2012 was about where the bottom of uh, was. 09, we were the best deals we ever bought. 2010, the second best. 2011, the third best. And really what it was is there was a lack of competition. People were scared, so they got their little alligator arms and they were unwilling to go do things when there was uncertainty in the market. And so to me, the uh, fundamentals of not competing with other people is an advantage. And so really, if you know, there's things about blue ocean, red ocean, as far as like you want to go and you do not want to compete with other people. And if you're going to compete with other people, you have to have better systems, better processes, better teams than other people. And so that's why I was like, we were able to do better in 09, 10, 11 was because in the sequencing of that, there was less people competing with us. When we looked at something and there was also a declining market. So houses were going down in value. Properties were going down in value. And so what we were able to do is come up with a kind of a, a valuation of how much a property was declining in a given year, quarter, month. And it's actually seasonal. It kind of, you know, flattens out and spring is better. Spring and summer is better than fall and winter. And so then we kind of created a little bit of a formula and said, hey, and I'll, I'll use an arbitrary number as saying, say a house was going down 5% a quarter. 20% in a year. And so then you could translate that to math. And it was like a $300,000 house today, because you could always comp something based on what is today's value. And then we could translate and then go look at it and say, it needs X, Y, and Z work, it needs this, and that's going to take us 30 days to do it or 45 days to do it. And then if we were selling it, that may take 60 days to be an escrow and then close out a transaction. And so then we were trying to be in and out of them in under a hundred days. So then we were able to translate and connect with this house is going to decline this amount of money per day because we were able to kind of translate it. So it's 300,000. By the time we go to sell it and close out of it, it's going to be worth $275,000. I don't, you know, I'm not doing the math, you know, there, but somewhere close around that thing. So then we would buy it at a discount from what we thought it was going to be worth in three months time. So then we would use 65% or 70%. And some of the things is like, so we will only want to buy things at under 70% of that futures value. And this is pretty like they teach us in other schools and minus your rehab cost and some other things and holding costs and transition costs. 
And so then what we would do is we go in and we kind of said, this was our top amount of money. Well, $185,000 is what we would pay for that particular asset. We would go in and if we got it for less than 185, yay. If it went over the 185, we didn't do the deal. And so that allowed us to create a buffer, a margin of safety, kind of from Warren Buffett and 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 uh, Charlie Munger and the, all the people that's like developing a margin of safety becomes a thing. So then we had a margin of safety. And then when we came out into market, we would then track some of our like KPIs or, you know, our numbers was how many people were actually showing that house. And so we wanted to be the cheapest house on the market that was in the nicest condition at the, the cheapest price. And so at least we were going to move. And so our competitive advantage was we were turnkey and the cheapest. And then that's where we kind of think. And then if we weren't getting showings, we weren't getting so many showings on the weekend and we weren't taking it into escrow in the first like 15 days or 30 days, we were rapidly cutting our prices because we were not going to chase the market down. And I would rather just turn that capital over and be out of that asset because in six months, it's going to probably be worth more less. Nine months, it's going to be even worse. And so then just cut bait, redeploy, try to buy something else with your capital. And that's obviously on a flip particular model. And so those were like how I approach things. And we would go make and we'd target a 15%, 20, make $20,000 on a particular house. And we would go do that in under 100 days. And our annualized kind of return would be in the 40, 50, 60, 80% annualized returns. And that's how we we're able to effectively do that. Because then it was just like shooting fish in a barrel. Which one of these 10 houses did you want to do? Well, let's do that one and that one. And that's all the money we had. And then we went out and executed hindsight, I would have bought all of them. I would have figured out how to do that. And I'd have kept them and I wouldn't have flipped them. And I would have, you know, uh, you know, just sat on them. And we'd all like buying in Fishtown five years ago, we would have, you know, make a gazillion dollars doing nothing um, because the market corrected. And so now I'm going to tell you the story. I went to grad school. I went to FIU. I went back to school. Part of this process of like rediscovering, I was like, I am going to do real estate for the rest of my life. So I'm going to go all in, like not just a little bit. So I went and got a, a master's degree in international real estate in finance. And so I was like, it was basically like learning the language of private equity. It's like learning how they talk, how you do a portfolio management, how do you you know, balance risk. How do you even with the international, there's currency hedge. How do you, you know, expand? And so it really opened my mind to these new aspects. And so there's a kid and I say kid, 28-ish, you know, maybe 30, youngish guy and younger than me uh, at the time. And so I was like, he had just finished building this 41-story high-rise condo project that he had made $30 million on. And I was just like, bro, like, <laughs> tell me your secrets. Like, did you grow up in construction? Did, you know, is this your dad's company? Like, did you, you know, win the lottery? And that's how you decided to do this deal? Like, tell me more. Like, I am very intrigued because I was like, at some point, and I was like, because that's my dream project. I want to build a skyscraper. And I was like, that's what I want to do. And when I have hundreds of millions of dollars worth of experience and asset under management, and I'm doing this other thing, I'm going to do that. I'm going to build a skyscraper part of things. So I was like, tell me, how did you do this? And he said, I just came from Venezuela a couple of years ago. I have no money. 
I've never done construction before. I don't even know my dad. I came over here because this is the land of opportunity. I always grew up and people said, come to America. It's the land of opportunity. And so he's like, I saw a piece of property. There was a sign on the property that said for sale. And so I called and I talked to the agent and they said, it's $5 million for this parcel or something. I was like, oh, wow. And then I went over and there was another parcel down the street that was under construction. It was another high rise tower project. And I, they said, why don't you talk to them? So I went and talked to the architect and the contractor for that other project that was one block over. And I went and talked to him and I said, hey, I'm looking at doing this. Like, what are your comps? Or how is the thing? And they said, oh, you should actually talk to the sales agent because we've completely sold out of our building. There's no units available, but that sales agent has more people that are interested in buying more condos. And so he was like, oh, okay, great. So we went over, the salesperson said, man, if you designed or did that same building, that same project, I could sell it for you. So he said, great, why don't you do that? And so he went back to the architect and went to the contractor, give me your numbers, give you these other things. The agent went and sold all the condos, pre-sold all the condos for this next high rise thing. And then it was like, and during that time, it put it in escrow, has no money still, has no things. And then it was like, hey, bank, I have all of these condos sold. I have a contractor that's literally just built the one down the street and is a big multi-billion dollar company and the architects that will do it and this salesperson that has already sold them out. Will you fund it? And the banks are like, yeah, of course. Like, it doesn't matter how good you are. It depends on the, how good the deal is and the deal. And they've already put all of the mechanisms put together. And so the very first real estate deal that he ever did in his entire life was a 40 story, $100 million project. And then he sold it out and he made $30 million profit. And I was sitting there and I was just like, shit. <laughs> I was like, crazy. how many of my own limiting beliefs have been playing small doing one little single family house that I was like, look, I saved 25 cents a linear foot on baseboard. But this dude just walked out and did the dream project that I did. And it was like, just because he friggin did it, he just went and did it's it. So, Cause it was like, like he, I'm in. It's almost like he didn't know, like he had didn't no idea that he couldn't do it. Like, it's almost like, he's just like, I'm just going to follow these steps. And like, I, he never set that into his head that he, that it wasn't possible. So he really took that land of the opportunity to the highest level. Uh, it's, I don't know if I've ever, we've ever heard a story like that on our podcast. Like that is the coolest it's thing amazing. ever. And it obviously had an impact on you. So you went and then did what? <laughs> like, I started doing more commercial deals. I was like, literally like I, I was renting an apartment in New York with my, uh, just off, off uh, Madison square park, Madison square park has the flat iron there. And so I'd go up and look at it. I love the flat iron. I love the old historic kind of nature. And then it kind of just dawned on me. I was like, somebody owns that. I wonder who owns that. And so then I went out and got on my Google machine and I was like, oh, wow, this is the Italian private equity group. And part of it, and I was like, I can own things like that. I didn't go buy the flat iron, but I went and bought a building that looks like the flat iron in San Antonio, a market that I happen to be in. Cause I was like, why don't I just try to buy that? Why don't I just go do that? So then it was like, I did a $4 million deal and we went and raised, you know, 25% you know, down. We raised some money from some investors and we did the thing. We still own it today. It's an office building that's got 40,000 square feet. And it was just like, wow, I can do this. And it was like literally just taking action. And that like 
hitting me over the head like a two by four of that that kid that went and did that project was, was like all limitations are self-limitations. So that's like an actionable story where people say, it's all about mentality. It's all about limiting beliefs. And you listen to that over and over and you're like, what the hell does that even mean, man? Like, right? what? how do I like, okay, like I believe I can, but then putting it into like the actual pieces together, it just makes you think that you can do so much more than you even think. And I, I, Ryan, I made like a pact. We're like, we're never touching another duplex or single family. Like we bought a, we bought a short term rental this year and we like it, but like, why would we continue to grow that way if we could skip the the small stuff and, and go a little bit bigger? So that's why we've gotten the larger syndications. So there you go. Time is your, your biggest thing. You know, and obviously in you say people are working and, and one of the big things that people have to understand is how to take your active income and start converting that to passive income. Because what you really need to do is you need to use a high income earning job. You're making hundred grand, 200 grand. You, you're a doctor. I have a lot of clients that are doctors making half a million dollars a year, but they're still only two paychecks away from you know, rat radically changing their lifestyle because of that. And so it was like, you have to get to developing a passive income strategy. I call it, and that's actually part of the second book that I'm working on. The passive wealth machine is a systematic way that you put in $1 and more than a dollar comes out. And it was like, until you figure that out to stop trading your time for money. And again, when you don't have money, you don't have that luxury. And so you have to figure out how do you exponentially increase and multiply your thing. So sometimes that may be being the GP of the deal. But I go, you running a syndication of a hundred unit multifamily is still trading your time for money. It is still trading a time for money, developing that big project that has a higher dollar amount at the end, but it's still trading your time for money until you figure out how to stop trading your time for money. Warren Buffett has a quote, like if you do not figure out a way to make money while you sleep, you will work until the day you die. And so then part of that is like, how do you fundamentally, and that's part of the big thing is like putting together systems that allow you to not lose your money, to not go backwards. You know, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two is see rule number one. So then you have to develop systems to like not lose money. Then that gives you, you put $1 in, more than $1 comes out. And is that in a year? Is that in two years? Is that five years? Is that 10 years? That all depends on what you're you know, aiming at and the risk adjusted return in which you're, you know, trying to narrow down to. But again, here's the other big thing that I took away from that was everything is a construct of imagination. Everything that exists right now is a construct of someone's imagination. The room that you're sitting in, the building that you're sitting in, the building that I'm sitting in, I have my office buildings an old Bank of Italy building. I go a hundred years ago before somebody built this, there was some guy that like, I'm assuming a guy, maybe it could be a girl, but some somebody stood across the street and said, you know what looked great there? A building, a bank building. It should be this and it should be this tall and it should be that. And they did that. And then they they rallied their imagination and they got an architect and they got a contractor and then they got maybe some investors. Maybe they got the bank. They got somebody else to buy into their imagination. And then it got manu it got built and it created and manifest itself into the physical experience that we have right now. And then how many stories, how many people 
you know, met their loved one in this building over a hundred years. Maybe they, where there was a restaurant at some point, you know, met the, the love of their life. Maybe they got divorced. Maybe they had kids. Part of all of those things translate that now become part of that because someone had an imagination to think I'm going to actually go do that. And so then really what it is, is like everything is possible on how well you convey that imagination to other people. And then when you get more people that believe in the vision that you're putting out there, they go and execute it. Like I'm actually not the integrator of my organization. I'm not good at the nitty gritty details of taking the last 5%. I'm good at the big vision, the 80%, the 90%. And then I need someone to finish it and take it off because I get distracted. I'm a shiny object. Like, let's go, you know, do a hotel on the Riverwalk. Let's go write another book. And so they're like, all right, cool. And I'm like, here, you go finish that project later. See you later. You know, and that's why it's all understanding where your core strengths are too. And so when you have a better understanding of who you are, then you can also figure where your strengths are, double and triple down on your own strengths, develop systems around you because in business, guess what? As an individual, I can have big weaknesses and areas that don't perform, but in business, you don't get that luxury. You have to then build out systems like, I suck at accounting. So we're just not going to do accounting. You can't do that in business. And so you need to bring somebody in that's good at accounting. I don't read legal documents. We'll get a team, uh, an attorney that's good at reading legal documents. And so and that's been the part of the other evolution is this is a team sport. This is not one dude. I guarantee you, no matter how good the Philadelphia Eagles are, Jalen Hurt trying to, you know, you know, do his own offensive line, hike the ball to himself and not get sacked would be terrible. It's only when it's a team effort, only when people have specialized skills in those particular areas that you can unlock that capabilities. And that's for you to figure out is if you want to go build a skyscraper, how do you assemble the team that can do that? How do you share that vision off to other people? Um, he didn't do the due diligence. He didn't do comp reports. He didn't compare it against anything else. He just took action. And so that's the bigger thing is like construct of imagination, taking action, action results in 80, 90% of the results of what you're going to need in life. And so just get off your ass and go take action, do stuff. So how do you recommend people find these integrators, if you will, right? I think for both of us, we are, <clears throat> we come up with the big ideas and we will, we will be the integrators if we have to be, but certain times we don't want to be. And we're like, Whoa, like we could be doing much bigger things. We're good. We're great at connecting people. Right. And putting pieces together. However, it's like finding when I think about it, just on the most basic level, like finding a property manager for us. That was like our first thing. Really, like, we want our hands out of here, but we need someone to, to, to hand this over to that. We trust is going to care for it. 80% of the way that we would, cause we know they're not going to treat it the way that we would treat our own money. And then it's like a virtual assistant, right? Help us with the administrative tasks that we need to get out of the weeds once again. So these are just little things I'm thinking about with the podcast, with our social, with um, our real estate business. And then we can move on to the bigger projects, right? That's how we kind of got, we just took action. We jumped in and that's how we got involved at the syndication space. We were just like, there was a, a person in our network that was uh, a big dreamer, big believer, and he had a great idea for projects. And we're like, dude, we're in. We'll connect some pieces with you and we will raise some money and we'll get in. And like, it, we just did it. We're like, I don't know. Like we, we researched it. We just did it. But now it's, there's so many little things on the day to day that are hard to the cogs in the wheel, right? We need to find more of those to keep our ship running. I'm wondering if you have any advice on 
people that are looking to find integrators because they want to pull themselves out, like how you maybe went about it and what you'd recommend for young bucks like us trying to figure it out. Yeah. So I'd say the first thing is figuring out your framework and where you want to go, because, you know, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's like Alice in Wonderland when she goes and talks to the Mad Hatter and, you know, ask uh, his advice and says, you know, which way do I go? And he's like, well, which, where do you want to go? And she's like, I don't know. So then it's like, it doesn't really matter which direction you go. And so like, you guys need to spend some time or defining out where you want to go and, you know, plan and, and, and maybe it's a short-term sprint. It's a three-year vision, you know, and I, I reference Cameron Harold's vivid vision a lot. So then once you define where you want to go and you have something, it becomes easier to reverse engineer the things that of where you want to go. And so then you'd be like, great, if I want to, and again, thinking about not how you get in there first, think about the dream scenario of where you want to go and remove reality from that. And just like, what would be the best thing that ever? And I want to have a private jet and I want to have a house in Italy and I want to have a billion dollars in assets under management. Cool. All those things, you can create that framework. Don't Focus on how first, first figure out on where you want to go. And then what you can start doing is figuring out the how. And part of that is sometimes your skill sets are not going to line up or your ability and your experience is not going to line up to what your vision is, but you're going to put it out there into the world. And then creating some things is like, so every single thing that you do, figure out as a dollar per hour kind of activity that you could hire someone else to do that particular thing. And so like as an assistant, like anything that you do is assistant related really means you're an assistant. And so the sooner you realize to stop touching and doing those things, it's like a tribute or put together your thousand dollar an hour, you know, task that you only do a thousand dollar an hour task. Then you have and put and tuck someone else. So, but the other big, trigger is making sure you have the revenue to pay for those people. And so that's the process. And the timing is like young people starting out, be like, I don't have those revenues yet. And you'd be like, yeah. So that's why you still got to go be the integrator yourself until you can layer in. But the sooner you hand it off, it's going to unlock level two. And then you go to level two, you go to level three and level four. And so it's like understanding where you want to go, the framework of what you're trying to get to. So then you're like, cool, this is the and here's also the big thing is when you're focusing on a goal, it becomes much easier to say no to things as because you get if you get, you know, uh, diluted focus, you get diffused results. And think about that as like a, a water water trying to get cut through a piece of steel, a plate of steel. Rain doesn't cut through steel very, very much, but a water jet. And if you know what a water jet is, it's a very focused amount of water and it can cut through steel like a hot knife. And so think about it is you have to get on one side of where your business is at the push until you get to the other side where it's a pull, where now all of a sudden you have people bringing deals to you, where you have people trying to get hired for you. Like, Hey, I saw this thing. Can you hire me? Hey, can you do this? Hey, I have money. Where can I put it? And so that's why I say between push and pull, a lot of people is focused and you need to get laser focused on your one thing until you get through obscurity and into where people are now rolling and throwing deals at that. And sometimes again, if you really suck at integrator type things, 
try to get them. I like, I'd pay an integrator before I paid myself. Like go, you make no money, pay the integrator to make sure the things are getting done. Then I would say in the syndicating business, I would say an ind- you know, uh, integrator. And then I would say an investor relations, probably next number two. And so that's like making sure that the experience, the sales, and maybe you guys are good with salespeople. And so that's a role that you can take fundraising and doing those other things. But again, figure out what you're naturally already good at. See how you're mapping it out and say, hey, I can do this and I can do this and I'm good at that. I'm good at construction management. Cool, now do those things. And then here's all the seats of the, the bus that haven't been filled that we need to hire as soon as we can. And to me, like if I'm investing long-term, I would say no dollars for me until that person is that role is filled. And then their success and getting and hiring good people, they don't cost anything. You hire B and A players. They do not cost any money. B players maybe return if you pay them a hundred grand, they generate 150 to 200,000, 1.1 to 2%. A players generate multiples. They generate 5X or 10X their value. And so then what happens is you pay them hundred grand, they generate a million dollars worth of value to you. And so then you're like, oh no, like I should have never done this in the first place. I actually suck at this thing. I thought it was good. Turns out I'm not because you see real A players, you see real integrators and you're like, oh my gosh, like they're so much better at this than I ever even thought of. And so that becomes the thing is start mapping it out, create a framework where you want to go, and then layering in accountability. The faster you can hire those people, the faster you get to the next level. Mm. Great advice, by the way. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on like letting people go from your systems? Like when you get to a certain point, when you feel yourself growing and like getting to a certain peak and you maybe thought an integrator would be something that they're, and they're just not, you know what I mean? Cause at some point you build out the system and you have this thing that's churning. You're like, yo, this just, it, it's just not working. And I think everyone's going to experience that at some point. So that's why I bring it up. It's like, it it's, you start something and you're just not sure if it's going to be, go to the heights you want because you, you, you plugged in the wrong integrator, right. Or what you thought. So, and, and that's, I, I did this a lot called the broco. You got your bro. We started a company and you're like, Hey bro, you can handle this. You can do these other things. We didn't go through a hiring process is literally we're, we're, we're buddies. We're hanging out. Like I've done it, you know, other things. So actually developing, and here's the other big thing, the big epiphany moment for me was actually getting a hiring team consultant put together. And so I was like, if you think you maybe need to let that person go, you need to let that person go because what it is, is you need is like, because you're such a small team, your organization is like 25%, 10% of your organization. And if they're critical as an integrated role is like, honestly, it's, it's really like a 50 or 70% decline to your overall revenue model and your, your success of your business. So every day that you don't hire them, similar to where I come to that formulaic approach of like the value of my the property is going down this amount, you could almost translate it to like every day that this person stays in, you're holding back your organization by $10,000 a day in revenue. So it's up to you. Are you running a charity? If you want to just do it out of goodness of your heart, 
you know, your rewards will be in heaven. And maybe that's the business model you want. Most people run unprofitable businesses, break even businesses. But if you want to make money, you want to generate massive profits that allow you to do better Then guess what, you're going to have to develop systems and get better as a business owner. And so part of for me was hiring. And I was like, I'm not very good at hiring, because I like people. And so what happens is I can always see goodness in every single person. I'm like, I like that guy. Yeah. And so I was like, that's it. I like that guy. Like, let's, let's work together. I'm figuring out, I'm always like thinking of like, how could we work together? Like, how could we do a deal? And so what happens is sometimes they don't have the right personality for that role. They don't do the right things. And so sometimes like my operations manager is a taskmaster. Kind of bugs the shit out of me sometimes because he comes in, he's like, here's the three things you have to get done today. And I'm like, but you know what? That's what the organization (laughs) needs. And so part of it, like my previous operations manager was amazingly nice person. Everyone loved them. And so it was great almost for like an investor relations. But what happens is like, I needed a taskmaster to take us to the next level. I needed them making sure that people were doing the things that they were supposed to be doing on the timelines that they were doing it. Cause I'd get around and I'd be like, uh, oh yeah. Did you guys get that thing done? You're supposed to do that last week. And then, oh, you know what? I forgot. But guess what they do? They're tracking it. They have it on a system. They know what everybody's supposed to be doing. And on Monday, they send you out an email or a text message. Hey, just checking in, making sure you're going to deliver that thing on Thursday. Is there anything that I need or you need from me to make sure to hit that and happen? So they're like, again, task masking everyone out. And so then like, Things are getting done and they're not, we're not, we're being proactive versus reactive. And that That was through hiring hmm. and getting a manager or a hiring consultant group because I was like, again, so they put them through disc assessment. They put them through, you know, personality tests. What is their motivations? How do they, you know, achieve more things with, are they financially motivated? Are they better to be part of a team? Are they think, and then it's like putting the right people again on the right seat of the bus. And so then I was like, yeah, I need somebody that's a taskmaster that, that is in, and even to me. And I was like, to me, it's like cutting through and it's like, Hey Jake, you need to do this. Hey Jake, you need to make sure that that wire gets sent over to this account today. And I'm like, Oh yeah, damn it. You know? And it's like, Hey, by the way, I checked, you didn't send that wire yet. Is there anything else I can do to help you? And you're like, damn it. Yes. Like, and it's those types of things is to hack yourself. That's what your integrator for me as a visionary. And maybe you are an integrator. And so then all they're like, dude, like, what? you don't have to be reminded. I have a checklist that for my checklist. And I was like, but again, that there are people that exist like that. So they may need to be part of a visionary. They may need someone because I've found integrators are like CPAs. And also like, they're really good. They're only going to make an investment if it's like double, triple, quadruple check. They have all the information, part of the things. And so like when they do invest, it does okay. Like it does fine, but they're never going to get that rocket ship kind of uh, potential. And so then that's why I think the, well, the rocket fuel, Gino Wickman, and part of the thing is, is like when they work together hand in hand or hand in glove, a visionary and an integrator, then you can massively, you know, change the world. Yeah, we're, that, that's what we're missing. And it's I, I now that you say that, I just think we're visionaries. Like I, like it, yeah, we, I we, think we're visionaries trying to fill the roles of integrators and doing it 
mediocre job at best uh, see, because th- because we, we you have to fill the role right, right. we're, we're not bringing in the revenue that you're talking about that's allowing us to get to the level up to hire the right person yet right right yeah. we're at that impasse and i think it's interesting right we have we have a bunch of we have a couple of different businesses we have the real estate investing then we have um our, well i guess you don't really count your w2s but we we also have the content creation and like that's our funnel system for like all of our our people, we want to take care of them. We want to get invest in deals with them and things like that too. And it's it's just <clears throat> to get everything moving in the same direction between just the two of us when we're just thinking about new ideas consistently. It's the shiny object syndrome. Like, oh, we should do this. Jump into this syndication. Now nah, let's just get an Airbnb. <laughs> no, maybe we should go midterm rental. And it's like, dude, what, like, what are we doing? And we try. We have a business meeting, an alignment meeting. We spend three hours just talking about the current shit we have going on. It's like, dude, we we can't talk about that. But there's so many lanes that we have that, like, it's like a quick recap. We try to build out the business, but the 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 main the reason I'm talking in circles here is like we've talked at nauseum about all these things, and I think it's time for us to get a coach. Or something. I want to. I want to get your thoughts on like a business coach, or I know you already mentioned like a group of consultants that comes in and like they particularly like maybe like help you place someone for a role. We're not probably at the place where we can afford someone for a specific role, like fifty to hundred grand, right? It's like, hey, it would be let's start small, an assistant or someone that's going to just like help us cut through the menial tasks, if you will. But it seems like we have things left, right, up, down. We need to get this. Well, and I think part of that from just hearing what you just said is like you need to pick a lane and stay in that lane because FOMO is your success killer. And so part of it is, and I, and I even do this from people that are getting early in and they, they, you know, here's, here's the one thing, Jake, I want to get into real estate investing, or I want to do commercial deals, or I want to do net lease, or I do, maybe it's to net lease. I want a good deal is that's how it comes across. I want to do a good deal. Okay. Well, what's a good deal to you? Like that's a very subjective term. And so what happens is you're you're spending so much time looking at every co-star, Crexy, LoopNet listing that exists out there, every MLS listing and doing those things. So you're just wasting. And I go, really, it comes down to almost like a mental masturbation. It's delaying what you really want to do. And so like, you just need to pick a lane and do something and then get very, again, laser focused on that one thing. And so part of it is, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it to help investors? And so then part of that also understands is like, if you're helping investors and you're being a conduit for that. And for me, it's like, also like I help people particularly get passive income. And so converting from getting active income into passive income. And so like there's multiple lanes in which they could potentially go into, but like first figuring out who they are, what they want to do. And so like some people love the idea of Airbnbs. Oh man, they're awesome. They're, you know, low barrier to entry and I can just get a loan on it and they're, I can hire a property manager and I can have a house all over. Other people hate the idea of dealing with multiple tenants in a given month. It's too much work. And like, dude, you know what I want? I want an industrial building that has a 20 year lease that I never talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cool. Like, and that's fine. And so, and that's again, and so you're going to have different, uh, you know, matrix of what your potential returns are going to be. So if you're like, I want 50% returns, but I want to invest into a syndication of multifamily and, you know, whatever market, you know, be like, 
you're probably not going to get there. Or you'd have to take super risky deals that with are super unproven. And so then it's like fitting the right lane of what you're doing. And so if you could and had clarity is I am buying and creating an investment strategy and having a one pager of your investment kind of thesis or what you're looking for, instead of reaching out to a broker and I'm looking for a good deal, I'm looking for, you know, 1970 or newer, maybe 1980 or newer industrial flex buildings that are between 20,000 and 60,000 square feet within one mile of, of major freeway interstate within a MSA that has more than 500,000 people. My preference is these markets in the Carolinas, you know, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, within this corridor. And here's the deal returns that I'm looking for. That's something that I can buy at less than $50 a foot or $100 a foot or whatever those things. And I pay both buyer's commission and sales commission, or I'll find a finder's fee. Is there anything that you're doing? And I have capital ready to deploy quickly for anything that hits those, those criteria. So now you've created a one-sheeter, very, very specific, that when it gets sent to a broker, they read through and they go, wow, they know exactly what they want. They're already telling me what a good deal is. So I don't have to subjectively assume that they, what is a good deal. And it's like, that's how private equity groups work. They have a buy box. This is what I'll buy. And I will buy it quickly and execute on that because it fits my business model. And this is how I can go raise capital for it. And this is how I can do it. And so what happens is when you go to raise capital, and sometimes it's industrial, sometimes it's Airbnb, and sometimes it's a syndication, it's sort of thing. Like people don't know what you do. What do you do? I don't know. I raised money for good deals. Okay, cool. Well, somebody that again likes Airbnb may not like the multifamily deal. They may not like hospitality deal. And so again, until you get to that other side of like people coming, you're like, here's my money, put it into something. It's like, well, what do you want to put it in? I want to put it in hotels. Okay, cool. Now we can plug it into a hotel for your good deals for that. So until you get to that other side of defining and that push versus pull, you need to pick a lane, get super good at that one lane, say no to everything else that's not that. That's how you can also develop your systems to then getting deal flow, getting you know investor flow, getting debt, getting and it's it's easier to become really really good at one thing than trying to be average at 11 things. Mm, great point. Yeah, I really like that. Gave me some clarity. Yeah, awesome. I, well, first of all, we could talk to you for hours on this stuff. I mean, it's 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 really refreshing and almost felt like a one-on-one coaching session too. So yeah, that we didn't pay for. So I want to talk about your... Um, your well, uh, Passive Wealth Principles podcast as we wind down the show and just talk about, you know what you give your audience members there, the the kind of thought behind that, and then also catching eyes, if you could just weave that in and just give people an indication of uh, what you what value you're bringing to listeners and the people that are buying your your book as well. Yeah, so catch, Catching Knives is the book, but the website is catchknives.com. That's where you can find access to the podcast. Uh, we do some courses on some due diligence. We're actually getting ready. We're, I'm working on book number two. It's called Passive Wealth Machine. And it is also about, you know, specifically, as I talked about, creating and 
converting your active income into passive income. So that's for high income earning people that are making six, seven figures and looking to like really exit the hamster wheel, but also maintain a very high level of status. I know some of the people that are the fire financially independent retire early. Sometimes that's just like have no anything cut out all the coffee, don't have anything and have your expenses be nothing. I was like, ah, that is not appealing to me. So I think there's other people that maybe already have high incomes that are their status and their expenses we want to maintain at a higher level. So how do you transition from active to passive income? Find all that stuff through catchknives.com. Catching Knives is the book that I wrote on investing into distressed commercial real estate. So some of those frameworks that I was talking about is a systematic way of approaching and investing into deals when there's distress, when deals are, you know, uh, maybe once in a generational pricing, or really what happens is, you know, 2008, maybe 2022, 23 is the next recession, and there's a lot of opportunity for buying out there. So understanding the game, the business plan that you have, and executing on that becomes how you can move forward in these stressful times when there's not a lot of clarity in the market. Passive Wealth Principles is the podcast. I interview, again, these people just figuring out what their, their tips, their tricks, like what, what do they do that, you know, multiple multiple uh, guests have been, you know, eight figure. Some of them have been nine figure exits. You know, like what in, in part of it is like almost to, to a T is every one of them develops some kind of system in their business. If it was their telecommunication business or their software company or, you know, real estate investing or whatever, they develop systems. And so that's really what I'm trying to do is almost like Tim Ferriss and his tools of Titans is try to synthesize and concentrate out like what are these kind of core things? And I've been taking that and then obviously putting that into what we do selfishly is like, oh, dang, like I want nine figure exits. I want some of those, you know, hundred million dollar exits. So like, what do I need to do to get there? And I'm not quite there yet, but it's like, okay, great. I understand some of the frameworks and then how do we convey that back out? Again, I might be a, a rung or two ahead of you guys on the ladder, but that doesn't mean I can't help out other people. I'm not the billionaire. And so I've, I've tried to find billionaires, um, uh, to coach me or uh, guide me. I haven't found very many of them. Like they don't put out some coaches, uh, platform stuff. So, so in the meantime, I'm looking for those same things. I'm looking for some people that are a couple rungs ahead of me to give me the, the clues to the next step. I hire people around in my own, um, social media and, you know, Instagram, and I'm part of masterminds. And I'm just like, you just don't know what you don't know. And it's like, I'm really trying to shorten my time horizon there. And so now we've layered that in again, more coaching, some, uh, some courses and some other content that we're putting out through all that catch knives, but ultimately, um, passive wealth is the new website, but that is not up and running yet. Great. Now I have two more for you before we wind down the show. Um, first one is, can you explain what catching knives means? Uh, I think it's an incredible title. It's very catchy. Get it. But yes, uh, what uh, like what I did there. Um, but can you just like the the inception of that and like what it means to you? So it's a financial term. They say don't catch falling knives and wait until they fall and hit the ground, and so then just pick them up. But my my investment kind of thesis is real estate is finite. Is Tesla stock drops to a hundred dollars a share or 
$40 a share, you can just wait until that price kind of bottoms out. And then you can go deploy as much money as you want to buy stocks. But that, you know, amazing piece of dirt in Fishtown or that building in Fishtown that's a hundred unit property and it, it's worth $10 million and then it drops down to $2 million in value. Guess what? There's only one of those. So even though the value might be going down, could you go buy it for $5 million and understanding that it may still go down from five to four to three, but then it may swing back up to that 10 or 12 or 15. Mm -hmm. And so what you need to do is you need to go catch knives. You need to be prepared to then execute your business plan to go buy a $10 million asset at $5 million, even though it might go down to 4 million or 3 million or 2 million. And then what you want to do is not get caught or not get cut in that process. And so I thought it was very clever with the title. I thought it was catchy. It has things like that, but I was actually just working with one of my branding uh, people on why passive wealth machine is like, I think it's a little bit easier for people to understand passive wealth machine than it is to understand catching knives. And I, they're like, do you ever have to explain the title? And I was like, yes, all the time, even to my wife. She's like, I don't know. It sounds violent. Um, and I was like, so, but it was like, that is, again, the people, financial advisors and stuff think it's clever. Ha ha, that's funny. But I was like, ah, dang it. So I'd rather have clarity versus is greater than clever. I do think it's a sexy title. I'll be honest. I, I like, it made me want to, to ask you clearly about it, but and want to know more, right? So yeah. I think you you nailed the marketing piece there. And, and and the reason behind it's great too. I mean, it makes it there's clarity. So you're good. You're covered. Now, I last one for you. We didn't cover this. We kind of were going through your story. Can you just give us the the 10 second recap here of like what your portfolio is comprised of today? And you know, I know we went through a bunch of the coaching stuff and your in private equity. You're you're heavily involved in a lot of different things, but just you know, we talked about your fast, not fast track, but millionaire before 30. We didn't talk about, was it single family duplexes? Like, can you just give us the quick, like walk down memory lane of like your portfolio? And I don't know how concise you can do it. You would, no big rush. Yeah. But so I do think it'd be cool. Yeah. So I have a couple thousand units worth of land that I have uh, assembled. So rezoned industrial land, typically to higher density, mixed use infill in the urban core. And so that's about 20 acres, give or take. Um, and so about a hundred units an acre, some have 200 units, some have less, uh, I have multifamily. And so mostly that's been adaptive reuse. So converting warehouses or office buildings to apartments. And then I've done some ground up multifamily that have been in development. And so that is about 150 doors in total. So in that, some of it's like a 10 story office building. We converted to 63 apartments along the river walk, a parking garage. I have a new construction hotel we're getting ready to break ground on. Um, I built out some single family subdivisions, some small ones. I had a big single family rental portfolio that we sold off to the institutional investors. And so I kind of started from single family, some single family rental portfolios. We sold those off and, you know, really made a lot of money for other people. At the end of the day, we didn't own any real estate. And so we we're just still on the same hamster wheel. And so we we're like, we need to start owning and holding some more real estate. Oh yeah. I have a couple office buildings too. Um, so a couple office buildings. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, and really what it is, is I'm concentrated on a few markets that I believe there's fundamentally some things that the market is going to do. And about 80%, 90% of your work is just by being in the right market. 
And so when I did a, a, my grad school uh, investment kind of things was if you simply just invested in the top market, Fishtown was the number one, you bought a property next year, you have a 95% chance success rate on it just because you bought in that market, the 80, 90% of the momentum is market driven. How well you did on the remodel or the fix up is almost irregardless or, you know, doesn't matter because the market fundamentals have done most of the lift. So that's why I was like, I'm very concentrated on central Texas, Austin to San Antonio corridor is because I think fundamentally those are going to just not screw it up. This is kind of my plan, business plan right now. Love it. Love it. Last question for me is out of your entire portfolio, what is the favorite, what's your favorite investment that you hold or that you've been a part of and why? I don't know that I have a favorite because I, I am I'm a little bit like the hotel probably right now because I'm getting ready to kick it off. And there's it's like the budget connects and it's really about a, a story. And I, I believe hospitality is permeating all asset types. It's permeating office is permeating, you know, the way you do apartments, connecting and building community. And so I think hospitality is what is my favorite right now and how you leverage and build community within, within uh, those individual projects and even a development piece of land deal. And so I would say hospitality is my favorite right now. Yeah, I really like that. I love it. That's how I feel about like Airbnbs too. It's just like having that little feet, just being able to host an experience. It just adds to, I don't know, the creativity aspect is great. Also a fun fact, random show to watch. If you are, if you like the hotel hospitality space, White Lotus HBO show, it's fire. It. Um, it has nothing to do with real estate, but uh, I was watching it last night. Oh, and, cool. Yeah. So you guys should take a look. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to do one of the core four because I, I want one too, dude. Yeah. I want to know. Right. So you're, we were just doing a little unconventional here, whatever. So there's, you have so much going on. You've built, and I know you're, you're being humble about it, which is fine, but clearly you have, you're a, a high net worth individual and you have a lot that you've done and a lot that you want to do. So my question is, what do you want your legacy to be, Jake? Like, what's the, what's the purpose? What's your why? Like what gets you out of bed every day and what keeps you going to the point where there's not this like false summit of like, Oh, what if you are at that billionaire status? Like, is that, is that what you're striving for? What gets you, what gets you going and keeps you going? So uh, I think the one big thing is life is an uphill journey the entire way. So if you want to use stoic philosophy, Ryan Holiday's obstacle is the way is you um, always have to be growing. And I think Ed Milet actually had, I was, uh, he was speaking at an event I was at and I was asking them some questions and talking to him. And it was like, he thinks in, in, in the way he translated it was when he gets to heaven, he wants like, at least the way it connected that God's going to show him the version that he could have been with his, the potential that he had. And he strives that he looks or his life is as close to that potential that he could have been that it's almost the mirror image of him. And he's like, so when I look at that is all the things that are the fire in my belly and all those things that I do is the potential that I have in this life. And so fulfilling that purpose and serving other people at a maximum scale is where and what fires me up. Money is a tracks the score of the game. But when I get to help and serve other people, I actually find it more rewarding 
when other people that I've helped go crush it and have a good deal or maybe avoid a bad deal or do some of these other things. And so what I'm finding out is that my purpose is using my superpower in the service of other people is what my legacy is and creating this understanding of this framework, how I've made these other mistakes. And so I just want to kind of continue to lean into that. And so it's getting a better version. My race is against me. I'm better than I was last month. I'm better than I was last year. I'm better than these other things and creating these frameworks. And so it is a competition solely against me living up to my potential and getting better every single year over year over year until I die. There you go. Wow. Here to hear. We're deaf folks. Definitely leaving it at that. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't I, ask I definitely another. do not have a question after that. <laughs> I will say that's something I'll, I'll keep with me forever. That, that, analogy or whatever you, I don't know if it is really is an analogy but the picture in heaven of like what you could have been like that's unbelievable to think yeah. about and I've I heard Ed Milet say that once so I that was that's very that's my first first time here yeah that, and I'm like damn that hit me like a ton of bricks and it's it's really cool because you do have you get like emotional here like thinking about this but you like you do have the power to change your life and like you you've been given a toolbox right with a bunch of different tools and it's like go craft your own legacy and what you want to leave this earth with. But you could be, it's just thinking about your purpose. It's, it's a whole philosophical conversation, but I absolutely love that. So thank you for leaving with, at least me with that. Cause I'll be, yeah. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that every day, yeah. every day I wake up now. I'm just like, dude, someone else, this is what you could be. So, so amazing advice, Jake. The last question is, is the last drop. And what we do is we ask people, Specifically, you. let's say you went back to your 18-year-old self and you had that chance to look 18-year-old Jake in the mirror. What advice would you give him knowing what you know now? Uh, go bigger. You know, part of it is just take epic actions and steps. So, and that's where, and I, and I, you know, obviously why I tell you that story about that, the kid that just yeah. came out of the gate of the first big thing, do big, do it bigger than you think you can do is guess what? And here I wrote this in my newsletter a week, two weeks ago. People will forget you probably within two weeks of you dying. It's like, it's, it's kind of like, damn, that sucks. But think about it. Like somebody dies, maybe if they're a good friend, you go to their funeral kind of two weeks, but then after two weeks, you kind of get back to normal. Every once in a while, they'll pop into your head. Oh yeah, I remember them. Oh yeah, part of the thing. But like within two, three weeks, everybody's going on with their life. They're focused on their own stuff in their own head. So stop thinking about what other people think because guess what? They're not thinking about you anyway and they're going to forget about you. If the most impactful thing, the most catalytic thing that's ever going to happen in your life is you die and within two, two weeks, people are going to forget about you. Just go do big shit. Go do it. So that kind of makes you think your- that not as many things, not as many things that you think matter, matter, right? So like, go, don't get all hung up on the small stuff because it, the worst possible thing is you die and then people forget anyway. So I, um, I was kind of morbid, but I, but I also very real in t- terms of thinking big picture and like thinking about, go, like you said, going big. So great answer. Thank you so much. That's, That's what Gary Vaynerchuk is like, you're going to die. So just yeah. also realize that you have mortality is like, you, this is one at bat. You have one at bat. That's it. What are you waiting for? Probably some preconceived notion of who you don't, don't even realize that you could be right. Like, so like if, if you're, if you want me to answer that literally, I don't yeah. know if you did, but like uh, probably what is holding people back generally is the limiting belief of 
who you think you can become, just like that kid that, that you or who you don't think you can become. Well, what do they say? Your salary is is the the check they give you to forget your dreams or, yeah, or, like, or the currency they pay you to forget your dreams. And like, dude, it goes exactly into that. It's like people are so in fear. Hey, I finally made six figures, right? And like, I know it's not even that much these days. I mean, it is, but like with inflation and all that. So don't kill me if you listen to this, you don't make six figures. Um, <laughs> however, I will say it's just like, you're so comfortable when you make that. You're like, okay, I can live. Like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. I still have to go to work, but like, I'm living comfortably. I can do some things that I want, but you still have to show up every day. And it's just like, go big, like literally to what you said is like, go big. I'm I'm just going to think about these last three things that we talked about for the next friggin' week, dude. So thank you. Do hard That's- things. You, you get to choose your hard. You get to choose hard now, pushing beyond your comfort levels, lifting the weights, or you get to, you know, have the, the, the negative, the hard of being out of shape the the hard of regret the hard and so i go it's harder harder and so like the hard it's hard to work out every day it's hard to stay disciplined to those things it's hard to do those guess what dying 10 years early is harder not being there for your kids you know at their graduation is harder and so like you get the opportunity to choose your lot hard and so what happens and that's the other thing is that we that's our family motto harris's do hard things Not because we like doing hard things, but because we're choosing to do those hard things. We're choosing to push beyond our comfort level because guess what? You can stay at level three of the video game or you can do the hard things that challenge you to push you to the next level. And again, living up to your potential is you're going to have to do hard things. You're going to have to get beyond your comfort level. You're going to have to do things you don't know how to do. The sooner that you embrace, the sooner that you lean into that, it's hard to go hire an integrator when you don't have those fees yet for them. That's hard. Figure it out. Get better at business. Get better at doing those things. Go do those hard things. It's hard to buy a piece of real estate that you don't know how to do it. So get better at doing that. Do those hard things. And then what happens is that action of that creates momentum. That momentum creates and builds small successes and gives you those dopamine hits to go do bigger things. And then when you do that, then you give you permission. And guess what happens? Some people just start out doing high rise, you know, projects. Some people start at buying a duplex for 20 grand, you know, uh, in, in, you know, South Philly. That's a possibility too, you know, and again, just understand that taking action is the one big, big thing that I say to everyone, because guess what? Most people are not. They'll hear this, they'll listen to this, and they're still not going to take action. Yeah, if they're going to forget about you dying, after they might forget about this episode. So hopefully you don't forget about this episode. And you take Jake's advice and you take action. So Jake, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I I, uh, I can't thank you enough. I think this episode um, is a, a business eye-opener to send people skyrocketing through the atmosphere. So hopefully they listen and they take action, like you said. If people want to learn more about you, they want to maybe network, invest with you, coach, course, and all these things, the great things you have to offer. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So at jake.realestate is where I'm most active on Instagram. That's what I do manage my own on that. I don't manage, it's the same one on TikTok. So I don't do the dances. Uh, Catchknives.com is the best way to kind of connect up. And that gives you kind of the access to everything else, the YouTube and the the podcast and other things. So, or you can just type in Jake Harris Real Estate. Uh, I'm not the dude on Deadliest Catch uh, up in Alaska. Uh, So uh, I am just Jake Harris Real Estate. You can typically find me from that, but at jake.realestate in Instagram. 
Jake, one of my favorite episodes to date. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure getting to know you. And thanks for sharing your story with us. It's uh, been incredibly insightful. We appreciate you, man. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed uh, putting this out there. And you guys are great and fantastic hosts. I hope that people, not only if they like this episode, they can share it, but Dude, you guys need to go review this podcast. Share this podcast with other people. Share it out to other people. Put it on your Facebook page, your Instagram page. Text your mom this episode if it was of value to you. Go show these guys some love because what they're doing is awesome. It's the Lord's work. And I don't know if the Phillies or or the Eagles are going to do it this year. I don't know. They are. I don't know. They (laughs) kind of look like frauds to me. They're going to be like the Pittsburgh Steelers and they're going to collapse at the last minute. So he sounds we'll like a Cali guy talking. That's okay. Appreciate we'll it, Jake. <laughs> but my team sucks this year. The, uh, I'm a Broncos fan. Russ Wilson is a fraud too. Oh yeah, man, he sucks. Yeah, I don't want to even go there. Yeah, so. you know what they say: Broncos country. Let's, Let's ride. ride. <laughs> Let's ride. <laughs> Jake, that's great. That's Jake, awesome, you're the man. man. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Weekly Juice Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and share with friends. The more ratings we get, the more ears we'll get on our show. And in turn, we'll be able to provide you with more high-quality guests. You can also find us on Instagram at Weekly Juice Pod, where we post daily tips and tricks and document our own journey towards financial freedom. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday to get your weekly juice.